Good morning, everybody. How are y'all doing this morning? Good, good. I know this has been said from the stage this morning already, but I just want to say, if you're a visitor here with us this morning, we are so, so glad you're here. We don't care where you're at in your faith journey. journey. You have a home here with us. And so I know how hard it is to go to a new church, to walk into a building and a place that's got a ton of people. It's a lot like going to a party where you don't know anyone. We're just really, really excited you're here, and we'd love for you to stick around and, and hang out and talk to us um, after service this morning. So this morning, uh, I am the campus minister. I should probably say that. I am not the preacher, as you can tell by my appearance. Um, But I'm the campus minister here, and they've asked me to preach. And so uh, we'll go back to your regular scheduled programming next week, but just indulge me this week. Um, So I, as I was preparing for this sermon, uh, you know, I, I consider myself a pretty normal guy. And some of you are already rolling your eyes at that statement alone, probably my wife. Um, But I consider myself a pretty normal bro, as they say. Um, But as I started thinking back on my childhood with my brothers, I realized that that wasn't totally accurate. So my name is Cade, and I have two older brothers. Uh, The middle brother is Roman, and my oldest brother is Zach. Some of you know them, most of you probably don't, which is probably for the best. Um, But I grew up with those two guys. And I just want to give y'all a little bit of like some snapshots of what life was like for Cade Richards and what life was like in the Richards household growing up. So me and my brothers, we grew up, and, and for us, baseball was like the pinnacle of the existence. We loved wiffle ball. And so we would play wiffle ball all the time, and we created you know, this home run derby game where if you hit it into these trees we had that seemed like a million miles away, but when I went back when I was older, they were only like 30 feet. Um, we played wiffle ball all the time, and so I thought it was really funny, and I don't know why I thought this was funny, but I would always go first, because, you know, I'm the youngest, the smallest, probably wasn't going to get that many home runs, and I would always go first, and uh, at that point, like, I, they would pitch to me, and after I was done hitting, you know, I got all my outs, I would just run away and not pitch to them. It was epic, it was the best idea I had in, like, my 10-year-old brain, but every single time they did that, one of two things happened. I would run, and I was always pretty quick, but I was never quicker than my brothers who were like five and six years older than me. And they would catch up to me, and they would either promptly give me a beat down, or they would take these grass things. Some of you will probably know the exact name. I don't, but in the summer when the grass grows long, you know, they have those ones that have the Y at the top with the little black seeds. They would make me bite down on one of those and like rip it through my mouth, so I had all these black things in my, in my mouth. So they would do that. But it wasn't all bad with my brothers. Um, my parents owned a lumberyard growing up. And I can remember going to the lumberyard after school with my brothers. And across the street was uh, this convenience store. And we would go, and pretty much every day we would get a drink. And two, one of two things we would either get Famous Amos chocolate chip cookies, which are pretty epic if you know what those are little small chocolate chip cookies. Or, you know, stay with me here we would get uh, bubblegum-shaped cigars, or cigar-shaped bubblegum. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, you guys didn't know how to check your past. Yeah, just stay with me here. And so we thought we were edgy. We thought we were cool. We'd always get those things. And so here's a couple other stories of my brothers. Um, so Roman, so 
you got to understand this. In my household, like, the best form of currency that we had was fireworks. Like, when 4th of July came, it was like the day of Jubilee. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Pretty much all younger boys are a little bit of pyromaniacs. That was me and my brothers. And so, one, one 4th of July, my brother decides, like, I don't know why it's like, maybe it isn't legal, but somehow we got a hold of, uh, you know, those big ones that you, like, drop down in, like, mortars, and they fly out. My brother had one somehow. I don't know if he got it like bootlegged or what. And he thought it was going to be super cool. And he was like asking me and Zach, he's like, hey, what if we light this thing and like toss it over in the field over here? And I was like thinking to myself, I'm sure Zach was like, hey, I'm not a scientist, but I'm pretty sure that thing's going to explode and catch the field on fire. So, of course, what does Roman do? He lights it, chunks it in this like tall, dry grass. It explodes, catches the field on fire. And, you know, the, the uh, fire department comes and puts it out. So that was, that was cool. You know, that was a good day. Um, my brother Zach, to give you a little bit of a, a, a feel for what that guy's like, um, he used to do all these, like, really cool flips on the, on the trampoline. Some of you guys are probably pretty good, or girls are good on the trampoline. Um, I just always thought Zach was really cool. So he would do all these flips and stuff. So <laughs> he talks me into, on the trampoline that was at deer camp, which... I don't think there's anything that can come good from a, a trampoline being at deer camp. Anyways, we were on the trampoline, and he's like, I can do all these tri- tricks because I can jump higher than you. If you just let me and Roman double jump you, you'll be able to do all these sweet tricks. I was like, that sounds perfectly logical. Like, and so him and Roman, they like, you know, I weigh maybe like 70 pounds soaking wet at the time. They double jump me, and of course, like, I'm shooting up in the air for higher than anyone's ever gone. He does this and swipes my legs out from under me. So that was a compound fracture on my arm. That day was pretty cool, too. Um, so that was the, the story of my brothers, and I'm going to give you one final one. This is a bonus. Uh, so me and my brothers, I didn't say I came from an intellectual family. You've got to just remember that. So I realize I'm like painting my parents as these like negligent people who are just like, here's some ninja stars and fireworks, like go play. Uh, but they bought us bow and arrows one day. <laughs> so I, it just occurred to me, sorry mom and dad if you're listening. Uh, so they bought us bow and arrows, you know, we're walking around shooting stray cats and stuff. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> We're walking around, we're shooting stuff, and uh, we decide in our, in, in our infinite wisdom that we're going to create this game where you like shoot bow and arrow arrows straight up, and the last one to run wins. Epic game, yeah. So that was our childhood. That was me, Zach, and Roman, you know, growing up. And, you know, now Zach and Roman, uh, they both work in the horse industry. Some of you guys know that, but... They work in the horse industry, and they both have have built these uh, pretty impressive businesses. They're both self-employed, and it's really hard for me to take them seriously now because growing up with them, you know, I'm just thinking of Zach, like, swiping my legs out from under me whenever we were growing up. I'm thinking of Roman, which I think an appropriate name would be Roman Candle. Um, (laughs) You know, like, blowing up the field and just, like, the stupid stuff that we did growing up. But this morning, I want to tell you guys about... Uh, some other brothers. Uh, I want to tell you the story of James, the brother of Jesus. I want to tell you the story of them growing up and and what their life was like together. So we're going to walk through some scriptures this morning, and 
We're going to go through a lot, but I want you to stay with me, and if, if it helps, just listen to, to me walk through these scriptures and explain kind of how their relationship played out in the course of James and Jesus' lifetime. So here we go. So James and John grew up together. I would imagine that they weren't like shooting bottle rockets at one another, but uh, maybe slingshots. And so they grew up in the same household, more than likely. And then the first mention that we get of James and Jesus' interaction in the Gospels is in Mark chapter 3. So in Mark chapter 3, it's when Jesus starts doing miracles And he's gathering a crowd. There's bunches and bunches of people coming to hear Jesus, to be healed by Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, it talks about James, the brother of Jesus, and Jesus' mother. They think that Jesus is out of his mind. And so they're like, we got to wrangle this guy in. He's doing some crazy stuff, which I would probably do the same thing if Romans said, like, hey, I'm doing some miracles. I'm the son of God. I would probably try to wrangle him in as well. And so that's the first mention that we have of James, the brother of Jesus, and they think that Jesus is crazy. And so then in John chapter 7, it mentions this again. The brothers of Jesus don't believe him. That's understandable. They grew up with the guy. And then in John chapter 19, this is really, really emotional. In in chapter 19, starting in verse 26 of John, It's when Jesus is hanging on the cross. Jesus is sitting there. He's hanging on the cross. He's taking his his final breath, so to speak. And he entrusts his mother to who? Not to James. He entrusts his mother to John. And I know that we've been kind of silly here this morning, but that is a deeply emotional moment for someone to take their mother and, and not entrust it to their actual brother, but to say, hey, You've been walking with me, John. I want you to take care of my mom. So you can see this kind of divide. And so after this moment, something incredible happens. Jesus dies. He's resurrected. And then shortly thereafter, he ascends to heaven. And then we go to Acts. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, you have all these people who are praying and awaiting the Holy Spirit. And who in the world is sitting there praying and awaiting the Holy Spirit but James? So you see this night and day difference. And then not long after that, I think it's chapter uh, 15, verses 13 and, and on, you have not only James praying and awaiting the Holy Spirit, but it seems that he's become this church leader. He's someone who's, who's a player in the conversation of Jews, Gentiles. How's this church going to look here in Jerusalem? You have him not only awaiting the Holy Spirit, but participating and leading a church. And then, of course, we have the letter of James. And I think this is so incredible that James, in his letter, introduces his first sentence. He introduces himself as the servant of Jesus. And then he goes on in his letter to to tell these people that he's writing to how to practically live as Christ followers. And he he talks about stuff like, like talk is cheap. You have this night and day difference. And then, according to early church history, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, is martyred. And the accounts of that um, basically boil down to this. They kind of corner James... 
He confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, his brother, and then they throw him off a roof. He doesn't die, and so they they stone him and they club him to death. How do you go from one to the other? How did this happen? How did Jesus go from my crazy brother to I'm going to die? I'm going to write a letter and then I'm going to confess him as, as Lord. I am his servant. How do you do that? I think that the answer is so simple, yet so profound. Um, one more verse this morning. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians fifteen seven. It's so short, it's so powerful. It says this. This is the Apostle Paul talking, you have to understand that. But Paul says this. Then he, talking about the resurrected Jesus, then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. What happened? What happened from my crazy brother Jesus to I'm going to give my life serving him and I'm going to die a martyr? He saw Jesus for who he truly was. That's the difference. That James saw Jesus for who he truly was. He got this glimpse of Jesus as his brother, as this guy. He grew up with him. But then there was a moment in his life that he looked upon Jesus in all his glory for who he truly was. We live in the Bible Belt. There's a church on every corner. We got Christian schools. We even eat Christian chicken. That's Chick-fil-A joke, if you guys were wondering. I, I promise you, the other day I was in uh, Lifeway, and this is a true story. They have breath mints there called testaments. What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. Um, but we've grown up hearing the name of Jesus. We're saturated with the name of Jesus. We hear Jesus. Jesus died for your sins all the time, all the time. And in my opinion, uh, some of you doctors in the room will get this. Hopefully everyone does. Hopefully I'm explaining this right, but I believe that we're inoculated against the name of Jesus, and we're inoculated against seeing Jesus for who he truly is. So what is inoculation? Inoculation is best to understand. I might have to defer to some of the doctors in the room. But it's whenever you take a small portion of like a pathogen or a virus and you inject it into something. And then your body produces antibodies to fight against that virus. So you take a little bit of something and it protects you against the, the, the major disease. I believe that that's what's happening here in the Bible Belt. That we hear just a little bit about Jesus. We see maybe a glimpse of Jesus or, or a glimpse of the church on Sunday mornings. But we never, ever, ever fully see Jesus for who he truly is. That hearing his name over and over and over actually puts a wall up on us where we can't see Jesus for who he truly is. So just like James, the name of Jesus is all around us. You grow up with, with Jesus hearing his name in your household. Well, we grow up with the name of Jesus in our household, but we don't ever see him for who he truly is. So I urge you, West Stark, I urge you visitors, Take a second look at Jesus. Because here's, here's the point. 
No one, no one in the world ever, 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 ever has truly looked on Jesus, has experienced the resurrected Jesus, and walked away the same. No one, not even Jesus' brother, not my crazy brother Jesus, and then he appears to him. James experiences the resurrection of Jesus, the glory, the power, the transformation that that brings, and his life was forever changed. Why am I up on this stage? I never thought I would be here, ever. Um, you guys heard me say earlier um, that I, I consider myself a normal guy. Um, I never, ever wanted to be a minister, ever. Um, I thought that, that church was really boring. I thought that ministers were pretty lame, um, which may still hold true with me being up here, but I never thought I would be here. Why am I up here? It's because I've experienced the power of the resurrected Jesus. That's it. That's the only thing that makes me special, if there is anything special about me at all. That I've experienced Jesus working in my life. So whenever I was uh, in high school, uh, the only thing that I cared about was golf. I mean, that was, it was girls and golf. That was just about it. Um, and, and that was my life. You know, I, I thought about golf all the time. How can I get better at golf? How can I get into to a school to play for college, and then how can I use that to possibly get on uh, a pro circuit? That was all that consumed my thoughts. But very gently and very lovingly, someone challenged that idea in my life and invited me to go on a trip. Um, Some of you may remember in 2008, Hurricane Ike just blasted the Gulf Coast down in Texas. Does anyone remember that? No, maybe not. Anyways, Hurricane Ike was really bad. Um, It really destroyed a city called Bridge City, Texas. Rick's uh, shaking his head, so he remembers. So we went down on a Christmas break, and uh, they invited me. This was like one of the first youth group activities I ever did. Uh, It was my senior year, and uh, we went down to Bridge City, Texas. And in this city, there were thousands of people living in tents inside of what their homes used to be. So they were in these tents inside their homes, and it was around Christmas time, and so we spent the week gutting houses and then spraying basically like a, a really powerful mixture of bleach to kill the mold and so that they could rebuild these houses. And then uh, we also put on this huge Christmas party with this disaster relief organization. And I experienced Jesus. This was my moment like James. I went from church, or, or, or Jesus was just a place or I'm sorry, church was just a place that Jesus was at for an hour on Sunday mornings. And then I went on this trip to Bridge City, Texas. And I realized that Jesus, through the power of His Spirit and the work of His people, was on a mission to redeem and restore everything that is broken. And that far exceeds Sunday morning. And so... This trip to Bridge City, Texas, it was like stepping a little bit closer to a keyhole, and I got a little bit fuller picture of who Jesus was. He wasn't just Sunday morning. He wasn't just a building that I came to once or maybe twice if I was a really good Christian a week. But he was at work in this world, and he revealed himself to me. There's so much more to this story that I want to share, but all you have to know was that I saw God at work.
that this was my moment when Jesus revealed himself to me. And I knew from that point on that there was nothing else that I wanted to do except for serve Jesus. And so those experiences kind of took me on a scenic route to this stage. I've been a lot of different places doing different things. Um, But for many of you, I'm going to say something that may be a little bit brazen. Uh, Hopefully it doesn't offend you too much. But for many of you, church is just really boring. I mean, can we acknowledge that? That for a lot of people, church is, is boring. You just come and you sit and you listen. You come and you sit and you listen. Well, I would challenge you not to come to church only, but to follow Jesus. Because if you read about Jesus of the Scriptures, if you read about his life and what he does, where he travels, where he goes, if you follow that person, if you model your life after that person, there is no way that you can have a boring life. There's zero chance. Let me tell you about some other people that I've seen in my life, and other organizations, I guess, that have seen the power of the resurrected Jesus. They have seen Jesus for who he truly is. So this past week, this is a plug for um, what we did last week, I guess. But you guys just forgive me. Um, So last week, our group, the Lions for Christ, went to uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And we went to work at a place called Room in the Inn. Um, It's a play off of a scripture in Luke about, you know, the room. There was room in the inn. Anyways, this place... Uh, works with the homeless in Nashville, Tennessee. And here's how it started. There's a guy named Father Strobel back in, I think it was the late 70s. Um, He realized that his church sat empty all week long while homeless people were out on the streets, quite literally freezing to death. And so he started sneaking homeless people in his church. Just letting them sleep, staying warm. And now it's this huge organization uh, that teaches everything from career services, how do you interview, how do you, how do you create an email to getting people out of drug and alcohol abuse, and all of these different things. And its bread and butter is it partners with over 200 of the area churches in Nashville, Tennessee, and every night hundreds of people go out and they have a warm place to stay. Father Strobel is someone that has experienced Jesus. He has seen Jesus for who he truly is. And he just lives his life accordingly. There's another um, experience that Rachel and I had in in Nashville. That's where we moved from. Um, There's a church that started in around 2009. And this church uh, started with the mentality of um, let's meet where people are already meeting, basically. And so they went into downtown Nashville, started a church at a music venue, and uh, since then it's grown to over 3,000 people. And Rachel and I had the privilege of participating in what they call a baptism night one night there. And it was all these people from from different backgrounds um, coming together that wanted to be baptized. And this wasn't like 10, 15 people, this was hundreds of people And I would guess around, you know, somewhere between 25 and 50 people were baptized that night in the middle of this room. And one of the most powerful experiences that I've ever had was I watched a husband baptize his wife, and then the wife turn around and baptize her husband. 
that team that decided to go into the heart of Nashville amongst the homeless, amongst the musicians, the drug addicts, those are people that have truly seen the power of the resurrected Jesus. And they took that and they said, everyone needs to see this. Everyone needs to have an opportunity to see this. Um, I was thinking about our, uh, our youth this week. Um, they went down to Guatemala. There was a couple weeks, one for, for Oklahoma, one for Arkansas. Those are students who have seen the power of the resurrected Jesus. That instead of going, like, I, okay, this is bad, but I spent my spring break, I think my junior year of high school, I think I played paintball like seven times that week. But these students give up their week to go to Guatemala and to serve people, not to be served. That's people who've experienced the power of the resurrected Jesus. They've seen Jesus for who he truly is, and they can't help but serve. I was thinking about, um, there's a campus ministry in Jonesboro, Arkansas. It was started, it's called Wolf Life. It was started about uh, six years ago. Um, Zero people there. This guy comes in, he starts his campus ministry, and within six years, they're launching out another team to plant another campus ministry. Those people, um, those students who were probably freshmen maybe at the time whenever Chris came there, um, the guy who planted the ministry, they saw the resurrected Jesus. They saw Jesus for who he truly was. And they said, let's not go get jobs in some random city in Arkansas or somewhere close just based on how much money we're going to get. Let's use our life to, to glorify God and to tell other people about this Jesus that we've seen so clearly. So they're actually leaving this summer, and they're going to plant a campus ministry in Seattle, Washington. They're all great people, but I think every single one of them would tell you that there's nothing special about them except for they've experienced the resurrected Jesus. That's it. I don't know what you think about Jesus this morning. I have no idea. For me, for a long time, Jesus was this... um, guy with perfectly conditioned hair and a blue sash and a white, you know, robe, um, and he was a guy that would shake his head at me if I drank a little bit too much, or, or if I accidentally slipped up and said a cuss word. That's all Jesus was to me. But I urge you, I beg you, I beg you to take a second look at Jesus. Am I really seeing Jesus for who he truly is? I've heard his name my entire life. I've been at church my entire life, but am I truly seeing Jesus for who he is? Uh, For a long time in churches and in culture, the question was, is this stuff true? Is Christianity true? Can I believe it? Is it true? And I think that's still important to answer those questions. I love talking about different aspects of that. But I think what more and more people are looking for is not, is this stuff true? But will it affect my life? Will it help me? How is this relevant? Is this, is this practical for my life? People want to be caught up in something greater than themselves. If you're here this morning, and church just seems like an hour on Sunday morning, that I, I, I want to invite you. I want you to come and see what Jesus is doing in 2017. Come and see, because Jesus is on a mission to redeem and restore your life, and the entire world.
He's on a mission. Um, West Stark, this church here, we're just a, a community of broken people. That's it. We're a community of broken people that are trying to figure out what it means to follow this guy, Jesus, in 2017, specifically in Fort Smith, Arkansas. And this story brings me so much hope. Because the person had, who had the most right to write Jesus off, my crazy brother Jesus, was a guy that followed Jesus to his death. So maybe I have a chance. I can assure if you decide to follow Jesus, um, if, if you make that commitment, then you're in for a wild ride. Um, you're going to live and really, really interesting life. You'll probably go places that you never thought you'd go. You'll, you'll do things you never thought you'd do. And it's all because no one, no one, no one, no one can see Jesus for who he truly is and they're not, their life not be completely changed forever. So here's my final point. If you want something to take home, um, the problem with our churches, the problem with our culture, the problem with our world is not that, that there's too much Jesus, there's too much religion. The problem is that we don't look like Jesus enough. We're in a growing season here at West Ark. Um, you may have seen stuff like that in our bulletin and on our uh, media. But here's what I want for everyone in the room. We're in a growing season, so how do you grow? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at Jesus. That's the point of it all. That's all I wanted to stand up here and say this morning, is fix your eyes on Jesus. Look at him. What is he like? What does he do? What does that mean for me? Fall more and more and more in love with Jesus. Look at him for who he truly is. Um, How can we help you guys this morning? There's going to be some elders that stand up and come down here um, in front. We're going to sing just a second. But do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to follow Jesus? Have you lived your entire life hearing the name of Jesus, but never fully seen him for who he is? Or maybe you've fully seen him for who he is, but you feel like you've fallen off. Um, Jesus is not that guy that, that when you mess up, sits there and shakes his head at you. He has open arms. He's waiting to hug you, to bring you back into the fold, so to speak. He never leaves you. He wants you to come back. And so, um, we're going to stand and sing here in a second, but I want you to fall in love with Jesus. To look at him for who he truly is. We love you guys. Uh, We're going to stand and sing this song. And uh, if there's any way that we can help you, please let us know.